Welcome and thanks for joining us for this week's encouraging and faith-building message from C3 Topol. For more information about C3 Topol, visit our website, c3churchtopol.org.nz. Now for this week's message. Okay, uh, I'm in all three services today. I will preach three different messages. Uh, the message which I will preach in the next service will be a kind of a part two to the message that I will preach in this service uh, in the evening, I'll do something different. Uh, statistically, one in three messages that I preach is actually quite good. So uh, if you come to all three services, you're guaranteed to get one good message. Uh, so if you like my preaching in this service, uh, come back for another service or two. And if you don't like my preaching in this service, come back anyway, and it may not be so awful. Uh, but over the next uh, two services, I want to look uh, at Matthew Five at one of the most famous passages of Scripture, the Beatitudes. And in this service, we're going to look with a bird's eye view at the Beatitudes, and I'm going to make a couple of general observations about the text. Then in the next service, we're going to zoom in and look closely at one of the Beatitude promises, and I'll preach a message called Overcoming High Self-Esteem. Does that sound Okay. I was hoping you'd say that because I've got nothing else planned uh, in the event of your disapproval. Uh, let's get underway by praying together, shall we? Oh God, we, we thank you for this amazing church and for the freedom to gather and to praise your name. And we thank you for the great privilege of having your word. And I pray that this morning, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open up your word to us so that seeing and hearing and receiving, we would be changed. I pray that you would help me to serve my friends well. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So, open your Bibles now to Matthew's Gospel. Let's just get a feel for a bit of the context. We'll start in Matthew 4, and here we see the earthly ministry of Jesus in its infancy. We immediately get a feel for what it's all about. He's been baptized. He has passed the test in the wilderness. And now we read from verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he calls the first disciples, and we read in verse 23, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now, if we could put that up on the screen, Matthew 4, verse 23, and keeping it up on the screen, I just want to read to you from Matthew 9, verse 35, which reads, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. It virtually mirrors Matthew 4.23. Now, what do we make of that? We make of that that this is what Jesus constantly 
did. This is what he consistently did. This was his ministry. He went throughout and he taught, he proclaimed the gospel, he proclaimed the arrival of the kingdom, and then he confirmed his authority with miraculous signs and wonders. And it says in verse 24 of Matthew 4 that his fame spread. Now, with that as a backdrop in Matthew 5, his ministry has now generated renown, his fame has spread, and we come across the famous Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon occupies the entirety of the next three chapters of this gospel, chapters 5 through to 7. The Beatitudes are recorded as being the very beginning of the sermon. So in verse 1 we read, Seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now, before we get to what he says, I want you to notice something here. We have two distinct categories of people. There's his disciples. His disciples are those who have already committed to following him. They have already put their faith in him, their trust in him, and they have a need. Their need is for instruction from him as to how they were to live a life worthy of the kingdom of God, worthy of the calling that they had received. And then there's the crowds, and the crowds were there out of curiosity that heard about Jesus Perhaps they were interested to see what he was all about. Perhaps they had a need and they were hopeful that he could meet that need. Whatever the case may be, whatever the reason that they were there, they were there. And their need primarily was for evangelism. So you've got the disciples, they need instruction. And you've got the crowds, they need evangelism. Now... If we fast forward to the very end of the sermon in Matthew 7 and verse 28, it says, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So there was something that was authoritative and astonishing about Jesus's preaching on this occasion and on every occasion. And though the preaching was primarily geared towards instructing believers, there was evidently something about it which captured the attention and awakened faith in the crowds. Now this should speak to our preaching on a Sunday morning. Because our aim is that the proclamation of the word on Sunday would achieve the same. Okay? We have disciples here. And your primary need, and this is one that we don't want to neglect, is for instruction. We want to strengthen God's people. We want to inspire their worship. Okay? But we also pray, don't we, that there would be some among us always who are here because you're curious, you're seeking. That there would be some among us who are 
who, who are not yet happy to call themselves disciples, but you've come to be among the crowd. You're interested to see and to hear what this Jesus is all about. And the amazing thing is that these respective needs, the needs for disciples to receive instruction and the need for the crowd to hear the gospel, they are not mutually exclusive. The Holy Spirit can use preaching to meet both needs simultaneously. Isn't that amazing? Isn't God amazing, right? Okay, so let's just read through the Beatitudes now in their entirety. So look with me to Matthew 5 and verse 2. He opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So rather than preaching on any one of those beatitude promises, I just want to make a couple of observations about the structure. There are eight beatitudes, each with a blessing and then a corresponding promise. Verses 10 through to 12 is essentially one amplified beatitude. Each beatitude is a sermon on its own, easily. But while they easily make for several separate sermons, it's probably worth remembering and considering that they are actually part of a unit or of one sermon altogether. Now, I want you to look at the Beatitude text, and you'll see that the sermon is actually bookended by the first Beatitude in verse 3, and the last Beatitude in verse 10. Notice the promise within both. Verse 3, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 10, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, same promise. Notice too, the tense. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you look at the six promises sandwiched between these two different tense, they shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. They shall receive mercy. They shall see God. They shall be called sons of God. Okay, so the first and the last beatitude relate to a present realized reality of blessing. And the six middle beatitudes relate to a future promise of blessing. Do you see that? Now, what do we make of that? Well, first of all, I think it is to say 
that the promised future blessings of verses 4 through to 9 belong by right to those who are counted as those who are heirs to the kingdom of God. So if you are of the kingdom of God, you can count on all of these promises. They are your promises. They are rightfully yours. You have a sure hope that you will be comforted, that you will inherit the earth, that you will be satisfied, and so on. These are the promises of the kingdom of God. If Christ is your king, these are your promises. And if he's not, then they're not, but they could be. So that's the first thing that we can make of the structure. The promised future blessings of verses 4 through to 9 belong to those who are counted as heirs to the kingdom of God. The second thing that I think we can make, and this is the big point for this morning, is this, the kingdom is now, but it's also not yet. This is a big paradigm to get your head around, but once you do, it'll serve you well. The kingdom is now, but it's also not yet. There is a sense that the kingdom of heaven is now and it is present among us. And then there is also the sense that the full experience of the blessings of the kingdom of heaven are yet to come. Because the kingdom of heaven has come to earth, ushered in by the God incarnate, Jesus Christ, because of this we can enjoy foretastes in the kingdom here and now. But the full experience of life, the life of the kingdom, will have to wait for the age to come. The kingdom is now, but it's also not yet. For example, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There is a measure of comfort from God from heaven, that we can experience amid times of mourning now because the kingdom of God is here, because Jesus promised that he would never leave us nor forsake us. And some of you have experienced the comfort of God in that way in those times. It is no small thing. It is no small thing. But is profoundly comforting as a measure of comfort from heaven may have been to us in times of grief and mourning, there is an even greater and an even fuller experience that we can look forward to when the kingdom of God comes in fullness. Revelation 21 verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The kingdom has come in full. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. That's a promise for you. But the kingdom is now, and the kingdom is not yet. Praise God that the kingdom is now so that he can be the God of all comfort to us 
now. But this is not yet all there is to it. There is something greater that will be realized in the ages to come. What a promise, huh? I mean, just millennia after millennia of unmitigated joy in the presence of God. The kingdom is now, but it's also not yet. Here's another example. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, it is presently true, no doubt about it. For those who are of the kingdom of God, for those who through Jesus Christ have been adopted into the family of God, they have received the spirit of God as a seal of their adoption, you are already a child of God. You are already a child of God. It's amazing, isn't it? Like we're thinking about adoption and how it's a wonderful image of God's love for us. We have been adopted into the family of God. But even adoption, as wonderful as it is as a picture, doesn't paint the whole picture of what God has done with us. Because if I adopt a child, and we will one day, I can bring him into my house and I can call him my son or I can call her my daughter and I can treat her exactly as she was my daughter and all of that, but I can never actually get on the inside of her and change her DNA so that she actually is like genetically, fully my daughter. But that is what God does. (laughs) That's what God does by his spirit. Anyway, you are already a child of God. Romans 8 verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So you are a child of God now. But there is also a sense, isn't there, where you have not experienced the full benefits. You have not experienced all of your rights and all of your privileges of being a child of God, yet you've had a foretaste of it, for sure. But there's something greater to be realized in the ages to come because the kingdom of God is now, but it's also not yet. And that is good news. That is good news. It's good news for disciples, those who have already committed to follow him, have already put their faith in him, have already put their trust in him, those who live by that faith, are led by the Spirit of God, because what it means for you is that this isn't as good as it gets, and and you have a sure hope that it's all going to get decisively better, decisively better. The Bible teaches that ultimately the glory of God is going to be so heavy that when it is put on the scales of your life opposite your burdens and your afflictions, it will make all of the heaviness in the world go up like thin air in the balances. It's good news, right? It's good news for disciples. 
But it's not just good news for disciples. It's also good news for the crowds. It's good news for the seekers because it means that there still is an open door. The door is still open. The invitation is still valid. He still may be found by whomsoever will come. The kingdom is now. But it's also not yet. The kingdom has come. And the kingdom is surely coming. And what does Paul say in Philippians? That he is confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion on that day of Christ Jesus. Kingdom is now. And it's also not yet. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed week.